You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Good morning. My name is Nicole Farr, and I am giving the message this morning. And I thought before I even said anything else about myself that I would commit this morning in prayer. So I hope you will join me. Father God, I am humbled, a little scared, <laughs> unsure. Um, what I'm doing, what you're doing in this moment and in this time, but God, I know you are faithful and I pray that the words that I speak would be pleasing to you, they would be honoring, and that they would ultimately bring you glory. Um, I pray that they would challenge, renew, restore, give life to those that are listening, and that in the midst of all of it, you would even change me and surprise me. We love you, and um, we give this morning and this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the topic that I um, was given by Ryan was difficulty and suffering and the goodness of God. And while I feel like I have a lot to say about those things because of life circumstances and stories, I thought a great place to start with just to be share a little bit about me. I think when people share about their personal journeys, um, I think a key place to start is like the context of their beginning, their beginning of faith, their beginning of... um, pursuing a relationship with Jesus in the beginning of their suffering. So I am going to give a few little snippets of that um, about myself, and then we'll kind of go from there. I um, wasn't particularly raised in a Christian home, and I say particularly because my parents went on Christmas and Easter pretty consistently, uh, and my parents absolutely let me go to church with lots of friends. And so I don't really remember having a ton of conversations with my parents growing up about my faith. I had conversations with them to believe something and um, look outside of ourselves. Um, but I don't really remember doing Bible studies at home or reading the Bible together as a family or even kind of pondering life's questions through that lens. And so I really adopted my faith through other people. Um, My grandparents, when I would go see them in the summer, my family would sign me up and let me go to vacation Bible school. They would let me do Awanas. And so I was really this kid who was going and listening to a lot of other people tell me something. And and I was really left to myself or to my my leader um, to figure it out what it meant and what it perceived. And so the relationship that I adopted with the Lord, whether it was intended for me to learn it this way from all of these pastors and youth pastors and friends was do good, be good, and you will be blessed. Do good, be good, and um, your life will be better. And I don't really remember a bunch about when life is hard or when it disappoints you. It was kind of more about don't do these sins and um, stay away from these things and it will help you. And so I loved that as a kid. I was very much a perfectionist and, and still resist those temptations now, but I wanted to be good. I wanted to get it right. I wanted to check the box. I wanted to be prosperous and have all the things. And so if I thought my faith was contingent on the, doing those things, I was already wired in a way to to be successful. And so I really think that over the time I just became a really righteous person. And while I could have a ton of conversations about that and relationships and individual 
um, situations or things that happened to me, I think ultimately um, I just became a very closed off and um, maybe even disrespectful and unkind <laughs> Christian. And I think we could all probably name someone, maybe we've all been someone, but I think that as I got older through Young Life, I was really challenged by my Young Life leader to look at people differently, to look at love differently, to look at who Jesus came for, to look at my own brokenness, that I wasn't perfect, that I wasn't righteous, that I didn't have it figured out. And that really probably shifted my when I was 16 or 17 to really encapsulate a larger version of God than I once had. But up until then, things had relatively gone my way. I um, played sports. I had good friends. I love my brother. We were, you know, it was, it was good. My parents stayed married. Um, and it really wasn't until I went to late college and got married that things started to be more challenging. Um, my husband and I, we've been married for 12 years. We have two kids that are three and five that are a great delight and also very hard. All parents know that. Um, but at the time we moved to Iowa, which is hard. <laughs> we, um, got married and I th thought we're okay. Like God's blessing our lives. And I was um, newly married in Iowa and I got the first phone call that really challenged all of that previous faith I just talked about. It was, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember being like, how could this happen? How could this be my life? And Cancer ended up taking her life within the next two years, which is incredibly difficult and still is for me today, especially being a mom, wanting a mom and having all of that. But I, that was the moment in my life where this faith that I associated with God, that my good works produced less pain, less disappointment, less frustration. And I found that at that moment in time, that that theology of a God didn't measure up. I really started to question my faith. I found a new mentor. I really started, well, all of this other framework, it's not, it's not making any sense anymore. And this was really one of the first disappointments that I had, but I think it's the first for us to start at because when I was meeting with somebody, someone said, well, Nicole, what does Jesus actually say about your disappointment? What does Jesus actually say about your pain? Does he tell you you're not going to have it? Does he tell you you're not going to experience it? What does he, what does he do? And she, and that time brought me to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane before he's crucified. And I thought that I would unpack that text a little bit and then tell a little bit more of my story on how that has really changed what I believed about God. And that ultimately in this season of difficulty and in the season of disappointment and death, um, I did not get what I wanted, but that ultimately the goodness of God like prevailed. And so um, I'm gonna read that text. It should be popping on the screen right now with Ryan, um, but I'm gonna read it and then I'll go from there and we'll just keep going. So this is Matthew 26, 36 through 56. Jesus prays in Gethsemane. This is after the, the Last Supper, he is going to pray and this is the night he's going to be betrayed. Um, so then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. 
And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, I am not a biblical scholar, and <laughs> I would encourage you to go back and look at this. I think there's so many things you could see about the disciples sleeping, what they said leading up into it, and there is way more to unpack. Um, but I wanted to kind of start with the things that stuck out to me, what was so revolutionary about my faith changing and the goodness of God in the most tragic season of my life. Um, and normally, I would say, I would never put tell you to be Jesus in the story. I think we often say, what would Jesus do? And I think that that question is, is a fine one, but only if it starts first at this place of, of knowing you're not Jesus. And I think that when we tell stories, we're like, well, let's be like Jesus. Let's be like Jesus. But surely in the story, we're, we are the disciples at best and we are the sinners for sure. And so I think it's important um, side note, maybe of my, um, tangent that I would say is I think when you read scripture, I, I really try to see myself first as this broken person that Jesus came to save rather than how can I be like Jesus and let's be Jesus in this story. And so, um, I'm going to say that because the first thing that I really realized about this text that Jesus, the son of God, the who knew his purpose, who knew why he was coming, who knew that he came to die for us and for this, for this, this, his people prays to God for it to change. He petitions and he agonizes and he requests for something to be different. And I found this to be one of the most freeing things about Jesus. He became so much bigger to me that it wasn't about living a perfect life or following all these things, but he's so big. He's so grand. He, he can handle my anger. He can handle my agony. He can handle my petitions for it to change. He can handle me requesting for life to be different. And I think I wasn't taught that. I, I really wasn't taught that God wants to handle to the point of death, like this petitioning. And if God, Jesus, the son of God, who's perfect, <laughs> can sit and wrestle with himself and with his father, then certainly so can I. And I think it created a shift in me that I no longer felt ashamed to question. I no longer felt ashamed to doubt. I no longer felt ashamed um, that maybe I lacked faith because I was asking these questions, but rather I could see freedom that Jesus did it, so can I. And I think it's a really beautiful picture. I think the second thing about this text is that he sat in attention. He didn't just ask it one time. He went back three times. He requested, can this change? Can this look different? Um, and I think 
that we really struggle on living in the tension. We really struggle that Jesus is good, that we can request, that we can be disappointed, that we can still laugh, that these things, and I, and the tension is the sweet spot because this tension produces this authority of God. And, and it flows right into my next point where Jesus is sitting there and he's petitioning, he's doubting, he's questioning, he's agonizing, and he does it multiple times. And in each of those statements, he says, but your will be done. And I think it's a beautiful picture of this proper authority of saying, I will be obedient and I will do what you're asking. And I don't have to like it. I, I can wish for it to be different. And I can sit and wrestle in that tension. And then even so, Lord, like your will be done. And I think that's a really beautiful picture that when we're in these moments, it's hard to remember. And I remember experiencing that with my mom. I really wanted things to be different. And I had people tell me that if I had enough faith, if she had enough faith, she would be healed. And I I just really had to go back to what does Jesus tell me I can do? What does Jesus teach me about pain and suffering and disappointment? And I love this verse and I still go back to it this because it reminds me that me too, I can also. And if Jesus, the son of God can do it, then certainly so can I. So I think um, this posture of surrender that Jesus talks about was really something that took me through a long series of that. And I, you know, um, we fought, we wrestled, and eventually my mom's life was taken and she died of cancer in 2011. And that was certainly the hardest thing I've ever had to overcome. Um, but one thing that this verse that I continue to come back to told, taught me about the goodness of God, which is amazing is that the goodness of God revealed itself because he got bigger. Um, I thought he was a God that fit in this box. And as I petitioned and agonized and yelled and threw swear words to the sky and all of the above, like I really found he got bigger and wider and more beautiful. And that is the goodness of him. Like I didn't, I, it was a felt, seen, experienced thing that a good God would give you, even though you don't have what you want. You're so mad about it that He can still withstand that. He doesn't need. He doesn't need me. Um, and I learned in that process that that the more I knew, the more I kept diving into the Word and looking for different answers, like the bigger He got, the less I knew, the less I could be sure of. And so the mysterious side of who Jesus was began to really encompass and break down and deconstruct bad theology that I lived with that helped me survive, but no longer worked. And um, I think that I learned in that season that I missed the goodness of God because I was so focused on the goodness of God has to be that my mom lives. The goodness of God has to be that I get what I want. And I think that if any of us live long enough, we realize we don't get what we want and we don't always get what, what we think we deserve and are promised in this side. And this mentor that brought me to this um, passage also brought me this analogy where she was saying, Nicole, like we can come to the Lord and we can ask and we can pray and we can petition for your mom to be healed. But if you stay so focused, it would be like being on a boat praying to see a whale and you're so focused, you're so focused on seeing the whale that you don't look up and you don't look around and you missed hundreds of penguins. And I always really appreciated that analogy because I think 
I prayed for the whale and, and I, and, and then along the way I had beautiful conversations with my mom. I brought my family to a deeper level together. I had friends show up. I, my faith grew deeper and these were all little penguins. And so while I still wished my life was different, I was still able to see these little penguins, um, of the Lord's faithfulness. And that is his goodness that I might not get what he want, but he doesn't abandon us and his fingerprints and his moments and his character it's written all over all around if we can look at it and i think that um the other thing that i learned was that our faith is always evolving and growing that as i learned these things and god got bigger and i started to see his faithfulness it it put me in this posture of i don't know what i think i know and he's so much bigger so much grander so much more beautiful that he is majestic that he is um all all consuming, all knowing, and I am this tiny little thing um, that can miss it and he cares about me. And I think that it really created a new posture of surrender. I don't think I knew what surrender looked like. I think I thought surrender was work hard, work harder, work harder, give in, don't give up, these sorts of weird kind of pieces. But really um, what what I came to find was that surrender meant doing the active work of pruning, getting rid of poor theology, diving in deeper to stronger theology, rooting in the goodness of who God is and what he says about me and what he says about people, that God doesn't need me to defend him. I don't need to know all of the answers. I don't need to um, be able to explain why do bad things happen to good people, that I, I really just started to see that the Lord did not need me to know why. And he didn't need me to be certain. And they didn't need me to be unsure because as I unpacked all of those things and released them all and surrendered to who he was, he gave it back. He he taught me um, his faithfulness. And I just don't know how else you learn God's faithfulness until you surrender and you're so reliant on it, you know no other way. And it became my own and it was really a beautiful thing. And I think that the last thing that that reminds me of in him is he hasn't wasted my story. And while I absolutely wish, absolutely desire um, for my mom to be here and witness my life and be a part of it, um, he has given me people and situations and stories and overlap and friendships that has not wasted, not a moment of my pain or my agony. And I think that is the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord. He restores our brokenness for his glory. And every time I get to do that, every time I get to share, there's this little part of healing that happens in me that still holds that disappointment, that still rides in that tension that says, um, I've not abandoned you. I am restoring you. And Nicole, I will make you new. And that is the goodness of God. Um, so I guess if if in all of that, <laughs> it has lost you. <laughs> Hopefully I haven't lost myself. But I think that, um, you know, in this next season of life, like I have really learned to, my husband was diagnosed with a chronic illness that has drastically changed the last three years of our life. And there's so much more difficulty and hardship that have happened over the years. And I'm back in that same place with the Lord, wrestling through the same thing. And I think that's the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord, that I'm here again. And I'm going to be here again and I'm going to be here again. And the Lord says, it's okay. And I am free and he loves me 
and I get to keep coming and I hope that I get here faster. I hope that I'm less angry and I do less swearing and I um, learn the thing faster and I see his goodness faster, but I, I am still here and I'm still processing and learning the ways to honor God with my life in my suffering and in my difficulty. And so I'm gonna do a quick recap in case all of that was lost and this is not even helpful, but here we go. So um, the goodness of God is revealed in struggle, doubt, questions, anger, grief. The God of the universe can handle all of our negative emotions. In times of difficulty, if we let it and we do the work of pruning and we do the work of reading the word and we do the work of sitting in silence, our view of God expands. And that is because of who the Lord is. Um, we can miss the goodness of God because we don't get the answers we want and we can miss him along the way. But the Lord is faithful and he is giving us small pieces of things to keep seeing him, seeing the beauty of him, having conversations with him. And that is the goodness of the Lord. Um, and finally, he is good because he restores our stories. Every single one of us, our story matters. Every single thing that we do that, he, that we don't do, he will use it to his glory if we let him. And I think we often get in the way and we prevent God from using our story because we're ashamed, because we feel guilt, because we're scared and God is bigger and that is his goodness. And so I um, want to leave you with a few questions to ponder um, and then I will go ahead and close this in prayer. But I hope these questions that should also come on the screen right now, um, if Ryan and I are doing what we're supposed to be doing, um, I hope that you think about them or ask, talk to them with your family or your friend or your spouse, whichever, wherever you find yourself. But um, here are some thoughts. One, when was a time you pleaded with Jesus like Jesus did in the garden? Have you ever, why or why not do you think that is? When, have you, when has your preferred outcome kept you from seeing God's faithfulness in the moment or in hindsight? Where are you currently holding tension and following Jesus? What has the tension revealed to you about the goodness of God and about yourself? Where have you experienced the mystery of God and how does that make you feel? On the other side of difficulty, whether changed circumstances or not, how has God used your story for his goodness? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you again for the opportunity to be here. Um, I'm clearly less nervous because it's over, but God, I just truly pray that this time was pleasing to you, that it brought you glory, that um, we could all find ways to be a more faithful servant to you, that we could live in the posture of surrender with you having authority in our lives, and that we would have the bravery and the courage to take the next step that you have for us in obedience, God. And I pray for those that are suffering currently or in a difficult situation. God, I pray that you would meet them. I pray that they would experience you in new ways, that you would blow their mind with your faithfulness and your goodness, that you would bring people alongside of them to walk with them. And God, that ultimately we would see you, that we would be made new, that we would be more like you, and that we would continue to serve you with our life. Um, we thank you that you were faithful. We thank you that you were good. We thank, we are thankful that you died so that we could live and wrestle and question 
um, in order to have a more intimate, meaningful relationship with you. Uh, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.